Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. Welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Uh, today, I'm really proud to bring you Jason Snyder. Uh, Jason, I've been following on Twitter. He's got a really interesting uh, Twitter garden or uh, sort of tweet stream and uh, lots of interesting intersections there. And he's a homesteader and uh, bioregional regeneration advocate and uh, teacher at Appalachian State University. And um, yeah, had a really interesting conversation with him about uh, yeah some of the ins and outs and considerations and possibilities in moving towards a federated digital bioregional governance system uh, globally, and um, and lots of other meandering conversations about integral and metamodernism, ethics, aesthetics. Um, kind of some of the usual fare for those of you who are still listening. I hope you have uh, a great time listening to the conversation and uh, please do um, leave comments and give us uh, five stars at, at Apple or wherever you're getting the podcast. It helps so much to have ratings and I hope you uh, are having an excellent time. So hasta la, hasta la regeneración siempre and uh, I'll, uh, Catch you all on the flip side. Well, Jason, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm uh, stoked to get to sort of, as you were saying, connect in one more layer, one layer deeper, one a little bit more fidelity. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, it's a moving avatar now, which is good. Yeah, it's still mediated through the screen, but it's a moving, speaking avatar. So that's great. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> um, I've been. I don't know how I stumbled across you on Twitter, but uh, the Twitter algorithms somehow uh, mysteriously connected us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I've just, one of the reasons why I wanted to connect is it just seems like um, in some ways, maybe we've had parallel journeys or we've come to similar conclusions around, um, you know, the good life or uh, yeah. aesthetics or mm -hmm. ethics or, you know, mm -hmm meaning and um but maybe from different places or different directions and so yeah I, you know anyway there's just a whole plethora of different things that i'm kind of excited to to just sort of like swap stories about or triangulate around um so you know that's just kind of by way of, of framing for for you and for the audience i guess mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're you're probably much further along the. You know, I think probably the you know key terms like regeneration are what brought us together on Twitter. And I think you're probably much further along. It seems like you've been in this world for for quite a few years. Um, and for me, it's really you know it's really recent. So I got I got my PhD in applied economics, uh, studying food systems. Um, and, you know, during my postdoc, I just slowly, you know, I I'd already kind of, I don't know, I just felt kind of depressed with the whole with the whole thing, but I finished it anyway. And, and, and I just slowly um, started moving in the in the direction that people in the quote regeneration world are talking about. I, I came across mm -hmm. Joe Brewer and, and uh, what he was saying, what he was doing was really influential for me. And, you know, I had, I had other friends that. Um, you know, because I, I really, I think for a while, I was really kind of like a, you know, 
a technocrat, you know, economist kind of technocrat and, and, you know, I had a pretty neoliberal worldview and, <laughs> and in the last couple of years, that's just really all changed. Uh, and so now, you know, my wife and I are in this new place, um, Western North Carolina. Uh, we're both associated with, with the University of Appalachia State teaching in the sustainable development department. And we have, you know, a few acres of land and we're trying to boot up a homestead. And so that's, that's really where we're at. Yeah, right on. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why I'm so just interested in kind of a human connection with you, if nothing mm -hmm. else, is particularly because I think that um, that transition from kind of like, uh, you know, a technocratic neoliberal perspective mm -hmm. and all that it brings into maybe something that's a little bit more attuned to place and mm -hmm. process and yeah. culture um, mm -hmm. is a really important one um, because, you know, in the current moment, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of people are getting you know, red pilled or whatever. Yeah, in many <laughs> different like, directions. In many in different many directions. Different in many different pills, purple yeah. pills and red pills and, you know, whatever. So, um, and I'm just curious about what it takes for people to, in this moment of, so like just context setting, I think the, the closest historical analog to what we're experiencing right now is probably like the Reformation and the printing press mm -hmm. coming mm -hmm. into culture. Right. Um, and who knows, like it's history yeah. rhymes, it doesn't repeat and all that disclaimers, right. but it feels like, you know, we're sort of like having this quantum leap or phase shift of just, you know, what yeah. people call sense making and meaning making and, you know, Anyway, so I'm always, I'm just very fascinated. What does it take for people to go through a process of transforming their worldview and their approach mm -hmm. in such a way as to come out the other end sort of more sane and not less sane? <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I can't, I don't know if I'm more sane. I won't tell, right? Um, well, it looks like that from my bias perspective. <laughs> right, right. Um, and that's hmm. totally confirmation bias and all that jazz. Like, yeah, you know, I, yeah. But yeah, hmm. there's a lot of strands to that I could pick up there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think you're right that we're going through, you know, every every generation, maybe things are going through unprecedented times. But, you know, we have the combination of digital technology, which, you know, I think in terms of communications is akin to the printing press, probably. Um, we also have, you know, all the disinformation campaigns out there. And so we have this whole digital world that's exploding and, you know, you know, people can write, you know, volumes about what's, re what's really going on here. But, you know, and then, but that's the backdrop. We have the backdrop of, at least in the United States, political decay, I would say, um, and ecological collapse um, worldwide. Uh, and so, you know, we have some hard limits that, you know, uh, you know, this renaissance, um, you know, if, if something like that is occurring, there's some hard limits that, that it's bumping into. And so, that's that's the real tragic or interesting, depending on your perspective, element of this is that um, we don't have infinite room for expansion, at least in a physical sense, like we did in the past, right? There's no new countries to colonize. Uh, so, 
you know, what does that mean? You know, for me, going back, you mentioned this kind of sense of place. For me, part of it means that we need to, to balance this digital renaissance, you know, with rediscovering a sense of place and sense of ecological boundaries um, and a sense of physical community. Um, and I, you know, I think at least in my Twitter sphere um, that, you know, is, is one perspective. Uh, I'm seeing people kind of waking up to that fact and, and realizing that, you know, you know, there's many different arguments for kind of a kind of a decentralized localist bioregional perspective. And, you know, there's books written about, you know, how it's good, you know, it's, it's a way to approach climate and security. It's a way to approach agriculture and anything else. But I also think it's good for our souls. And, you know, I wouldn't, um, you know, for me, I don't think, you know, an argument, because I hear a lot of arguments, right? Like the techno, like the hyper techno optimists also have their arguments that, oh, it's going to be fine. We're going to get through it. You know, um, or the you know the extropians, the Marsians, you know, the Elon Musk of the world. Um, they're living in a very different universe than I am. Um, but I, I just think, for me, it's not just logical argument. It's like, you know, it, there's something that is there has been a void in my soul that you know I'm trying to, um, you know, I, I'm finally trying to rediscover that void no that doesn't that doesn't make sense you know <laughs> rediscover a sense of place i did a little bit of background for me i so i grew up in northern new mexico for the most part and in taos new mexico and it's a great place taos yeah. new mexico a great place but you know my parents were were kind of hippies artists and they, they moved there and i was always kind of an outsider and and i was i had friends from kind of many different backgrounds but you know I, i've not, I've always been a person who was kind of on the outside looking in, even when I moved to other places growing up. Um, and I feel like I'm finally in a place here in the Appalachians where even though it's still, you know, I don't have multi-generational family here um, and all of that, but, you know, I feel like, okay, now it's time for me to actually, you know, uh, you know, all the cliches, you know, grow roots um, and create, a legacy moving forward, not only for, you know, my family and loved ones, but also for the community I live in and hopefully, you know, larger bioregions and, you know, create, create something that my descendants will, you know, grow up in and feel rooted in, in ways that I, that I didn't totally. And so there's, there's a strong kind of spiritual element to this for me, besides, you know, all of the, all of the arguments that, you know, I, I can make, even though they might be motivated reasoning, but you know, it's, <laughs> you do what you can. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think that that's right. Uh, um, or, you know, it resonates with me, um, right and wrong or not, not maybe the right, um, framing, correct framing. So there's a couple layers here. I mean, one thing, you know, for, for me, for me, I, I resonate with the, there's sort of an intrinsic need for humans to inhabit the landscape and to have a culture and familial and just like the day-to-day -day sort of mechanics, ergonomics mm. processes of your life to just have them connected into a landscape. And I think that's just really important for like mental, physical, spiritual health mm -hmm. for sure. Um, one thing I'm always troubled by is there's sort of like there's this there's this uh as 
like as people wake up to the spiritual, aesthetic, ethical, practical <laughs> reasons to grow roots in a place, uh, what I witness is sort of the this sort of like just the logical this logical sequence for people it, um, ends up you know more or less with the you know more or less where Joe Brewer mm. is is inhabiting and taking other people along with him. Um, mm. Where I find it starts to fray or the edges start to fray is mm. at a global sort of biosphere level and, it, and the interconnectedness of between bioregions, food right. sheds, watersheds, right. um, the blurry lines, uh, the, the the movement, the, the the larger than single region cycles, water cycles, carbon cycles, nitrogen, yeah. phosphorus cycles, the movement, the, the and also sort of the evolutionary history of humans, for instance, that I think I'm on pretty solid ground here uh, with my understanding that humans are basically never sedentary. Mm -hmm. the, the, the sedentary moments of human culture are the exception, not the rule. Um, so, mm -hmm. so I wonder, you know, what does it look like in the, in the present moment to sort of like kind of metabolize that and have the sort of Cosmo local as yeah. uh, Michelle Bowens talks about it, or, right. you know, the global local or the interact with the world as well as rooting and, um, you know, how does that, and I, I'm sure none of, no, nothing that I'm saying is sort of like surprising to you, but just how do you hold that sort of uh, tension mm -hmm. between sort of like rooting in place and fulfill, having something fulfilling for you and your family with also sort of the demand to engage globally because your yeah. place will be affected by global, mm -hmm. um, you know, s struggles or successes? Right. Um, well, so a little bit more about my background, you know, for a long time, I was a quote unquote world citizen and that's how I identified. Um, I, I was part of the Baha'i faith for a long time and, and the Baha'i faith is very much of a global vision. Um, and because I wasn't, had never really been rooted anywhere, even though I kind of felt a sense of place, but it, it, it never went that deep. Um, you know, I, I, I felt, you know, I was, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, exactly the sentiment that you're expressing, you know, I, I felt that very strong and I, and I did, and I spent a lot of time traveling as well. You know, I spent time, you know, I, you know, going to Europe for work, uh, spending time in different countries in Africa for my, for my PhD research, um, and as well as Latin America. And so I definitely, so I'm just saying that as, as way of like, that's, that's kind of, that perspective is kind of where I'm coming from. Um, and I think, you know, if I were to look back, 10 years from now, um, I would probably see what the phase I'm going through now is kind of like a counterbalancing mm -hmm. uh, of that, of like, okay, um, I, I still resonate with that, but I like, I just need to spend a few years, you know, getting my hands in the soil. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm just allowing myself to kind of like go through this phase yeah. where it's very hyper local, but I agree with you that everything is interconnected. And I, I think one affordance that digital technology gives us is this kind of cosmolocal 
vision uh, and this global kind of collective intelligence that I think is also necessary, um, you know, kind of a necessary movement. Um, I don't know, is that? that yeah, yeah, totally. And, and it totally makes sense. Phases and cycles are really important. So, um, I mean, I guess my mind is more going, it's sort of, there's ne it's nested. So there's your, your personal experience that I'm curious about. And that's really interesting uh, that you're, um, you know, formerly, I guess you're saying of the Baha'i faith. Um, I've run across or met a few people who are in the Baha'i faith and always found them very interesting humans. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they are, they are. Yeah, <laughs> um, I thought it was quite cool. Um, had a had a childhood friend actually as well. Um, yeah, so there's like the personal and then there's the sort of like the, you know, layers out, nested layers out that are going through my mind, you know, and I'm sort of sort of reasoning through how do we, you know, how does this not, there's so much resonance with, yeah. I think the conversation we're having and essentially what I sort of see on some of the, some of the darker shadowy parts of the web and like mm -hmm. what sort of the, the emerging neo-reactionary sort of yeah. way of thinking and and what the difference is, mm. the, the or one of the differences that I see is, you know, the, that neoliberal, um, some of the attributes of neoliberalism, mm. I think are sort of still maintained and how I'm, and how I'm experiencing what you're expressing in a way mm -hmm. there's not a total reaction there's just sort of like an understanding of your your personal journey and some some like hard truths around physical limit limits boundaries right. to growth th ecological thresholds and these sorts of things that are, you're mm -hmm. sort of going like wow okay all of that is not being sort of like metabolized by the right. technocratic you know mm -hmm. worldview and assumptions but maybe some of the things that, that those folks are holding yeah um are are worth reconsidering once there's sort of like a more solid i don't know if you would say empirical or maybe it's more you know spiritual or both right <laughs> sort right. of um, fulfillment going on but yeah. not sort of like all oh, that is just total bullshit you know that yeah right right you know it's it's easy for our minds and i include you know my mind to you know when you discover you know you find some new information you have some kind of paradigm shift kind of totally foreclose other things and, and to cast them off is completely wrong. And I, and, and I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a mistake. I, you know, part of what I used to emphasize a lot on social media and with our, our old podcast is, was this idea of mimetic mediation of kind of creating the channels of dialogue, um, you know, uh, across different kind of reality tunnels um, mm -hmm. and, you know, bringing in things like stages of development with like the integral mm -hmm. and meta modern stuff that I think we both also have, a shared interest in. Um, and it's interesting, like on social media, you know, in this new kind of trajectory I'm, I'm, I'm on, you know, I have kind of strange bedfellows, you know, I, I mm -hmm. interact with a lot of like radical leftists and I also interact with like neo-monarchists. And yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> and interesting. It's, it's fascinating to me. There's some yeah. of the more interesting Twitter, <laughs> Twitter <laughs> accounts yeah. I found. I like, I go down the rabbit hole and I'm like, oh, very yeah. fascinating. <laughs> No, it, it is. And so I've, 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 I've gotten used to 
um, resonating with people along new political axes, I guess you mm -hmm. could say. Like the left-right kind of distinction that I grew up with to me is kind of just completely crumbled. And, and right now it's kind of a free-for-all, a wild west of what are the new alliances going to be, right? And, you know, and some of the trajectories can be very scary as we've seen in the 20th century. And so I'm always kind of a little paranoid of like, you know, not brainwashing myself, not going too far down one rabbit hole where, um, you know, I get caught up in something that turns out to be, you know, frankly, fucking crazy, you know, <laughs> some kind yeah, of yeah. genocidal, you know, whether it be like eco-fascist or actual fascist, you know, <laughs> other kinds of fascism or whether it just, you know, some kind of totalitarian nightmare, right, that we've we've seen with the utopianism of the, of the 20th century. Um, well, it's so easy yeah, to go there. It's so easy to go there because those are the ideologies that thrive in a meaning vacuum. Right. 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 People are looking for, you know, the, the phallus, so to speak. I'm using language from, uh, what's his name? I forget his name. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, this kind of broad insecurity of somebody, you know, appears to be confident and, and have the answers and provides protection and safety. It's very easy to kind of be drawn into whipped up into, into something for sure. Um, I wanted to and go the meaning, back. To I mean, just the meaning, I, I think they're just sort of like yeah. totalitarianism and fascism. They have at their roots concepts of like human society as a whole, as right. a body where you're, exactly. where you're like subverting your individual will to a larger will. And that resonates with, I, what, you know, it, it, this is where, yes, the, the horseshoe or circle or just total yeah. explosion of any yeah. <laughs> continuum of political thought I, I has something that I've been sitting with for quite a while because I started to realize, you know, with my sort of like left leaning bias in right. my travels and in my experiences, I had a lot of interactions with indigenous peoples and still do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't generally sort of like trumpet that I, I find it off-putting to yeah. like use that as a marketing thing but anyway right. <laughs> I find other people doing that much to my yeah. chagrin but right, right, right. um but I had this experience where I recognized that the, the the cultural wisdom and understanding that they were fighting for and upholding the rights of a group not mm -hmm. the rights of an individual right and right. there, all this yeah. tension around private property rights and the neoliberal order and stuff. And there's fights between like a tribal group that's saying our culture as a whole, and we are a group of people, and that right. group has rights, not just the individual. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, and that has remarkable resonance as a wisdom or as like an approach with some of the sort of you know totalitarian or fascist you know, whether it's mm -hmm. left or right, this shift from individual to group. And there's mm -hmm. wisdom there. There's a hundred percent truth to like, mm -hmm. I experienced this as a, as a, you know, as a, we have a family sort of like the nuclear family. Yeah. Western atomized lifestyle is fucking nuts. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's multiple layers of craziness of making it all about an individual. Um, yeah. So, yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, uh, as a good, I guess, integralist, you know, would say is, you know, you have to like, you know, balance all those aspects of yourself. Um, you know, one thing I'm attracted to this, this notion of either you could call it localism or libertarian socialism is that 
it, you know, it, it, it kind of, it, the diagnosis is about scale. And if, it, you know, basically how I understand the theory is if you get the scale right, then that affords many different kind of experimentations and how, how things work out. So, you know, you have everything from kind of like the more radical libertarian localists who are all about individual property rights, but then they might also really be really big into mutual aid and kind of village economies and, you know, but they still want to have like their own piece that they have control over. But then you also have like the Zapatistas, right, which are kind of have done exactly what you were describing, you know, as kind of a traditional culture, um, uh, uh, indigenous culture. And, you know, they had certain values that they fought for and, and they're still fighting for, you know, in, in, in the state of Chiapas. Um, and, you know, and, and that is a much more kind of socialized, I would say, you know, of course, I don't know if our kind of Western notions of socialism really apply to them, but it's, but there's very much kind of a sense of like, you have your own kind of plots, but you, you devote a lot of your, your time to kind of like the shared maintenance of, of the culture and the society. Um, and so it seems like, you know, I'm kind of a agnostic on, you know, it's like, if you get the scale right, then, um, then I'm kind of agnostic on, you know, whether it's kind of more libertarian, more kind of individual property rights, which can work out well in some circumstances and, or if it's more of a kind of collective, you know, communal type setting. Um, or I some, mean, I'm, I'm all for that plural sort of polycentric, pluralistic, you know, right. di the diagnostic of scale. I, mm -hmm. I think, although I am skeptical, I think it is used as a vehicle for sort of like this, you know, I, I have witnessed it used as a vehicle for sort of this like Thatcher, Thatcher-esque, mm -hmm. there is no society sort of like corporate corporatism veiled as like libertarian localism. And, and that's where they're just, anyway, it's just, there's, yeah. it's, it's confusing because all this stuff gets balled together. Yeah. And, and right. as you said, like it's strange bedfellows, like people have yeah. alliances with each other where you're like, really? Like, right. A lot the of, state, a lot of is the state that much more oppressive than that corporation over there? And right. like around right. that individual, those people in that community trying to self-determine something in the face of, you know, yeah. Well, that's one of the things I, I, you know, I'm influenced a lot by Joe Norman and what I really like about his approach is like he, you know, he interacts with libertarians all the time, but he also criticizes libertarians all the time because he considers himself, considers himself a localist, you know, and, and while there's a lot of resonance between kind of those two ways of seeing the world, you know, he, he also speaks a lot about, you know, the dangers of kind of large corporatism or, you know, uh, and, you know, for him, there is a balance between kind of individual autonomy uh, and, you know, letting that get out of control, uh, especially when it, when it comes to kind of, you know, in a pure kind of anarcho-capitalist society, you, you just probably have a neo-feudal, like a few large companies control the world, right? Like that's what it would eventually evolve into. And so I appreciate people like him who considers himself kind of a localist and very much about private property. Um, I guess he would consider, consider himself a distributionist or something, you know, in a kind of Chestertonian sense. Um, and, and for that, you know, there, there is kind of like a, a hard limit to, you know, what you're describing of this kind of like, you know, eventual <laughs> devolution into, you know, global corporate capitalism or something. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's all very fascinating. And yeah. I mean, I'm very attuned to it partially because 
you know, we're trying to essentially create kind of, you know, a, a parallel sort of uh, public infrastructure and a set of tools for local, you know, uh, local commons management, local currency management, mm-hmm. um, uh, local sort of the, the reweaving of economic value with ecological health, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, there are technologies, you know, that, that we're bringing to bear, which I mean, I would hesitate to say that they're transformative, but I think they're helpful. But ultimately, mm. it's almost all a social coordination thing. <laughs> yeah. Really, at the end yeah. of the day, it's uh, like, yeah. can we all agree like, about basic things around place and how we're going to govern those basic things? And mm-hmm. whether those through market forces or something else, it doesn't really matter. There's a mm. 20, there's... 2000 different ways to, to mm. manage all of that. They start to look awfully similar after a while, mm. actually, but there's a yeah. lot of different nuance there. Mm. So I'm just very, you know, I've been spending just maybe too much time thinking about all of this sort of, uh, sort of uh, political economy stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> as it relates um, to well, localism. Let's, I mean, let's dig into that some more. Cause uh, you know, you, you asked before about like what, what elements of, like what is the baby in the bathwater of neoliberalism? Um, and it might be interesting to kind of dig into that more together. Um, and, you know, how do we kind of coordinate, you know, not just locally, but bioregionally and across bioregions? I think that's a, I think that's a fascinating topic. Um, you know, how, you know, I, I certainly think that these digital technologies, um, whether it be crypto technologies or just, you know, communication technologies, um, can definitely play a role in that. And there needs to be some, some form of collective intelligence where, um, you know, I mean, on the one hand, you need some kind of trade, um, you need some kind of like accounting, budgeting, especially when you're talking about, it seems like you can talk, maybe you could talk about what you're, what you're doing with regards to kind of like carbon, carbon accounting. Um, in fact, do you, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? And maybe that'll, I don't know. I, I want to go down sort this path. Of, I find sort it of very- spur that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, well, so, at the pattern level, at least in in my concept of region network, and it's already kind of, you know, polycentric and pluralistic at this stage. But yeah. my conception as one of the founders really was around ecological agreements in mm. the in the most basic cultural sense, in mm. this understanding that every indigenous culture ever had a cultural sort of like agreement between like in between members mm. in relationship to a place about how they would interact with that place. Right. And that that's a basic sort of my hypothesis here is that's actually a basic sort of almost like vestigial organ of cultural mm. organ, not an individual one. Like you don't, an individual doesn't make an agreement with a place really. Mm. I mean, you know, maybe you could, but it's really a cultural thing. It's a group right. of people. Right. Um, and okay. So that's like the basic pattern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go through all of the, wow, here we are in the 21st century. We live in this global economy, roughly a hundred trillion dollars a year. We are, you know, we have, we're pumping lots of atmos- uh, carbon into the atmosphere. We're unbalancing the climate. There's a lot of other ecological degradation. That's probably more scary, but that's the one that people have, like sort of that that there's sort of a gestalt of like alarm and awareness 
Okay, so therefore, let's start there Mm. with bringing tools for doing, essentially, as you said, you know, Mm. carbon accounting and market-based, what I would just consider it a basic sort of archetypal level agreements about mm-hmm. this public good or this bout the the system that we're all, all part of so mm-hmm. yeah at the moment that's a go-to-market strategy around essentially carbon offsets which right. i'm pretty like i'm not really personally super interested in carbon offsetting yeah. as like the the yeah. silver bullet or anything like that but there is a big market for it and it turns out that it's there's some important sort of like incremental innovations to to engage with there to just make it work a little bit better. But really fundamentally, the transformative piece for me is a full integration of, so so that they're in that like classical economics diagram, there really should be no like, you know, public goods, Hmm. you know, uh, that are just things that are, or, or the public goods, there should be an answer as to how to account and internalize and understand those, whether it's fully socialized and it's aesthetic, intrinsic and ethical, and there's actually a foundation for that in our society, um, or if it's more quantified. And, and I think that's the type of thing that people just need to get together in groups and decide who, you know, there just needs to be tools so that you can do it qualitatively, quantitatively, you know, with, with an ethics lens or a business lens and come to the same conclusions about basic agreements about things like your carbon cycle outcome. Right. <laughs> so anyway, that's my little, just like trying to connect with you really on, you know, where region network is working. And I'm actually right. super interested to hear your thoughts as a, you know, a PhD in applied <laughs> economics, you probably, um, vastly surpass me in um, theoretical knowledge about all of this for sure. No, I doubt it. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, PhD is you, you're very kind of a narrow, you know, I'm focused on very narrow. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to wrap my, what you're talking, what you're, what you're describing sounds, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. I want to, I want to touch in, you mentioned how we think about public goods differently. So, you know, and you mentioned that chart. So in the, you know, in the kind of econ 101 chart, you have kind of like the private goods, public goods, and then you have artificially scarce goods, and then you have the commons, right? And they're all defined differently based on whether it's a, you know, it's a- Well, there's it's like a, club goods too, right? Yeah, that, club uh, goods yeah. Are, are the- Kind of like commons, yeah, or art, okay, artificial scarce, yeah. okay. And and basically they're defined on, on a two by two axis where you have, Rivalrous, non-rivalrous. And yes, that's exactly, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly it. And mm-hmm. commons management is a big part of this for sure. Yeah. Right. It's probably the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also like net commons of commons or nested commoning. It's right. like you move up scales and, and it becomes very hard to sort of wrangle the complexity there. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, one, I mean, one, one, one thing I, that I was thinking about a few months ago and I found pretty interesting is the kind of commons that someone like Michelle Balance talks about, it's, it's a broader notion of the commons than you find in an Econ 101 textbook. Yes. Um, for one, they say, well, why do these goods need to be artificially scarce? They can be open source. So, you know, that, that whole category can, can collapse down into the commons. Um, also in Econ 101 textbooks, the commons are rivalrous goods, meaning they, they can be drawn down, but you know, if you're also talking about like digital software and stuff, that's not necessarily a rivalrous good. And so, 
it's so he, I mean, the way that he presents the commons is different than, you know, what econ 101, you know, students are taught, which is which, which is fascinating. Um, and and then, you know, comparing that to what Eleanor Ostrom talked about of at least at a small scale, you, you see the examples of the commons. But then you're talking about nested commons, which which seems like would be impossible without the aid of the digital kind of tools that that you guys are developing, which is which is awesome. Because I, I yeah. do think we need this kind of nested version of the commons, which, which gets incredibly complex because you, you have to think about, you know, what kind of agreements, you know, what kinds of monitoring, what, what kinds of, you know, what procedures are there for handling disputes. I mean, you know, just go through all of Ostrom's eight, you know, principles yep. of commons and, exactly. and apply it to technology and it, it gets very, at nested scales and it gets very, you know, I don't want to say the what I call that concept, the wild democracy, uh, sorry, okay. the wild bureaucracy, not okay. democracy, mm -hmm. meaning like it's going to take an enormous bureaucratic apparatus to mm -hmm. manage claims and counterclaims yeah. and all right. of this stuff between different and, and uh, you know, and essentially all of that stuff needs to be built in such a way as to be an open source you know, high, highly like usable yeah. <laughs> for, for anyone anywhere in the world so that people right. can just like have their intrinsic ability to <laughs> ha have a local place sourced approach and have that like kind of compute or compile up to a global mm -hmm. scale. Without that, I think we're sort of fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. Um, there's a couple kind of strands like, in my mind that I don't know if I want to go down these strands. One of them is, I think we had interaction on Twitter about uh, energy and, and the potentials for energy contraction. And you, you seem to be pretty optimistic that we'll, we'll have a supple energy future where all of this kind of digital technology, you know, required to, to, you know, com to compute all of this at a global scale will be readily available. I, I don't think it takes that much energy to compute all of this. Uh, yeah. But but not only that I mean but it's not just it's not just the computing but it's also the infrastructure the the digital to you know create the the digital technology in the first place the the extraction totally the the question here is, here is basically material. can we sustain silicon based like computational infrastructure sustainably uh, or not right. uh, yeah. yeah I mean I, I think I mean, my my I'm, if I'm if I was a gambling that. man I would say yeah. which I am mm -hmm. by intrinsically. <laughs> Yeah. Because I'm, a, you know, I have a business and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> so that's yeah. gambling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not hedging my bets, but um, yes, I definitely don't think that the sort of like Kunstler Albert Bates sort of like uh, carbon post carbon Institute sort of narrative mm -hmm. of like imminent energy collapse is mm -hmm. on solid footing yeah. uh, uh it could be i mean there's a there's a possibility it is i don't completely discount it but i don't think that it's the most likely scenario personally yeah i mean i i, I don't you know i i don't I, i'm kind of agnostic i mean i've been kind of head deep in in the the kind of peak oil uh energy collapse literature for like four months or so. And so that's just yeah. kind of like where my head's been at. It becomes the world. And, yeah. and yes, yeah. and and people definitely believe it. I think it's more a 
post hoc rationalization strategy for people who can't accept that really their hearts and their in the, the gap in their sort of spiritual life is asking them is demanding something of them that now they're trying to explain through you know like sort of like a materialist lens around imminent collapse that's the, that's my personal oh, take on what's happening <laughs> that's interesting um yeah i mean i i, I don't know i i do think uh where i i i i think that there i think parts of their argument are somewhat credible is that i, I do think that the way we think about urbanization and population distribution will have to change. Uh, I personally don't think that super dense, large scale cities will be viable without stocks of cheap fossil fuels to, to fuel the whole process from you know uh, materials to agriculture. Um, I mean, just imagining, you know, how are you gonna feed New York City um, with kind of small scale regenerative agriculture I don't, I don't know how that's possible yet. Um, I don't think it's actually, uh, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I mean, mm -hmm. it may be true. I have not like taken the time. I sort of like, I was in the literature and world. And I mean, I used to teach, <laughs> Yeah, I used to teach permaculture like alongside yeah. of a bunch of these people. So like, yeah. I know a lot of that community, um, yeah. the Doomer community. And they're all great. <laughs> like I, I like nothing but love and yeah. respect, but um, so my belief, and this is sort of like semi-tested mm -hmm. and has a semi-empirical foundation um, mm -hmm. is that regenerative, small scale, regenerative agri agriculture, agroforestry, permaculture, can produce more, essentially more calories per acre when you get down to it than its industrial competition. But it has to do so across a very wide diversity of different crops. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore you cannot achieve an economy of scale for shipping and logistics mm -hmm. that we've re relied on for like to, to, to bring about hyper dense urbanization and, and mm -hmm. other things that we sort of think of in the modern world. However, I actually think with some very simple software, mm -hmm. you can deal, you can do aggregation of like a smaller percentage of one crop out of 12 from every farm mm -hmm. in a bioregion and aggregate mm -hmm. it very efficiently and move it downstream to New York and, you know, for instance, to New York City. So I, yeah. I well, let me ask you this. It's what, possible. Is what is the incentive for small scale communities to send all our food to New York City? What money. is money? Give back to them. Lot, culture, money, the kids are going to want to go there. I mean, there's lots of symbi. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, look, I don't want to, I'm all for the sort of like eco village, civium, smallholder mm -hmm. world that's my choice i yeah. just don't think that it I, I personally don't think people are just like screw it we don't like cities i think people have been living you know, like ur urban there's a whole like subspecies of hobo hobo homo urbanicus or something like that like mm -hmm. that people love that <laughs> right, right right they're gonna hold on to it tight and they're and they'll 
they'll make it worth people's while. And it, mm -hmm. and it'll either be through um, friendly economic coercion or mm -hmm. violent coercion that that continues to exist. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I'm, I, I just read this book, Small, Small Farm Future by Chris Maje, which I, I recommend. I, I think you would like it, even if you don't agree with all of his arguments. But, you know, his one of one of the lines that stuck out to me was, you know, he basically made the statement that, you know, Chicago is in the United States context, you know, basically, you know, it settled itself between kind of the woodlands and the, and the prairies in order to extract, you know, the most that it could from 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 both area without really giving much back. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a, a colonial, you know, and so he basically then makes statement that, you know, modern dense cities are, are, are basically a colonial model of extracting wealth people from rural areas. And, and indeed we see that, right? Totally. Rural areas these days are hollowed out. Totally. Um, and so I'm just wondering what would, what would change that dynamic in, in your model? Well, I, I, I think placing um, re like my theory of change is what has yeah. to happen is the economic system that we're competing within the superstructure mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. global culture which is yeah. economics needs to essentially transform so that that forest is worth more standing than it is as lumber mm -hmm. or the soil is worth more operated by 20 people at a hyper local scale to run the no-till polycultural agroforestry system than it is you know flattened with a combine for a mm -hmm. single crop and if mm -hmm. we change the economic script so that there is actually more economic value to be obtained because money is just what we make it is mm -hmm. money is just a it's just a construct right right so right. if we imbue that construct with biosphere health with regeneration with these things that we all know we need and actually i i think it reconciles the dichotomy and i don't think it wipes out cities i think mm -hmm. it just it flips the relationship the economic relationship from sort of colonial and extractive to sort of a re regenerative reciprocity relationship let me ask you one more question would these cities would new york city be a bioregional city or not well i think i think mega cities are are almost certainly going to continue to this is the thing is like and humans in general are going to continue to cross bioregional boundaries and so they'll right. for sure be cross bioregion trade but mm -hmm. can new york city essentially maintain itself within its bioregion and maybe like strong partnerships with a couple of other bioregions mm -hmm. um yeah i think so mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I, I don't know. I, I try and keep my mind open. I don't um, see any other way for this to like. Yeah. Look, if if it if it collapses, I think I think it's in my my opinion on this is actually driven by my sense of necessity. Mm. So if this system just collapses, the rural people are fucked because there's just going to be a giant sea of urban zombies flooding over to take your homestead, and you won't. Mm be able to unless you band together and there's all this weird violence and everybody will be completely transformed into basically a different species if that happens yeah. 
I, I'm reading, you mentioned Kunstler. I'm reading his, his series of World Made by Hand and it's exactly that world that you're describing. <laughs> yeah, and it's ugly it's, as hell. I mean, is, there are elements very, of it that I'm like, oh, that's quaint. But when you yeah. come down to it, he's describing no, no. something that I'm not most down people, with. Most people die. Most people suffer quite a bit in, in his universe. And there's a few little niches of like happy little villages. That, that's yeah. basically what described. And, so, yeah. and I would say, I think those few little niches are a nice literary device, but are probably the real fantasy. Hmm. I mean, anyway, I, we don't need to get into the custom. I mean, I, I, I think that he tries to be pretty realistic. Like they deal with pickers and they, they deal with anyway. But that I, I, little I, city I, that he starts yeah. with in upstate New York, way too close to New York City to actually survive in that uh like lethargic way that it does for the first however many years. <laughs> I, I you cut out a little bit. The internet connection cut out a little bit, so I missed I missed a little bit of that. Are you? Well, saying, I was just saying that, that I'm in the third book. That right little now, city. That little city. The little. The little. The first book. I'm just talking uh, about the first book. Okay. The first book, um, which is I think called "The World Made My Hand," right? Um, yeah. Mm. Um, that one. That little town, I forget the name of the town, is not very far from where, where I live. Uh-huh, yeah. He lives just across the uh, border in New York. Mm. I mean, it, you know, a little bit farther north than yeah. me, but it's like the same bioregion that mm. I live in, in Massachusetts. Um, that town is way too close to New York City for that to have been realistic. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean... You know, I, 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 it might be interesting for you to interview him and, and hash it out. I think that would be fascinating. That would be fun. I would be totally down. I mean, I, look, my bias is I grew up in Alaska yeah. and uh, anywhere on the eastern seaboard will not survive that kind of collapse from my perspective. Right. <laughs> like my threshold is way yeah. different. I'm just like, if you don't have about a thousand miles right. <laughs> between you and wherever that thing is happening, yeah. you know, it's... <laughs> Yeah. So, so best get to work making sure that doesn't happen. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I I feel you, but I, I I do sense a need that I do think we have become too urbanized. I you know, and, and I think that I mean part of what I do on social media is trying to just point that out that we become too dependent on a global economic system. It's it's a very fragile system with fragile supply chains totally. based on assumptions of very dense you know, dense energy readily available that might not be the case, you know, moving forward. And if, you know, we can try and move all to renewables, we have to because of climate anyway, but renewables are much more about flows than stocks. And of course, battery technology and battery technology is getting better, but I don't, I'm not convinced that it'll, it'll fully make up the gap. And I think. No, we'll have we to, they'll have to also have to, have to be nuclear energy and all sorts Maybe. of other things. Yeah. I mean, if they can get if their act they, together. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 they can convince whoever's backyard they're putting the waste in that it's that it's okay then that's the big unsolved problem that's the big unsolved problem um but i i do think that more people need to start cultivating the land again we can't have two percent or five percent of the population be farmers we need more like 20 percent um, totally I, I mean i just i agree with i agree with all of that i just yeah. i i think my and this is sort of the same. I kind of I'm the contrarian, I guess, in yeah, the yeah. in 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 our little section of the internet, or you know, some mm -hmm. forming movement. Because I think I also disagree with Joe Brewer about this. Um, yeah. 
I heard your guys' interview, by the way. It was fascinating. Yeah, I, I think we're going to do another one. Um, cool. Nice. Um, soon. How would I put this? It just feels like the... I, whether or not it's the set aside, whether or not it's true or not that the urban, that there's sort of like the urban, there's urb, imminent societal collapse <laughs> yeah. caused by extractive sort of urbanism and peak, peak energy issues and other things. Mm. Um, I don't think that's a strong enough driver to actually get people to change their patterns. But I, I think we also, I mean, when, when you say the word collapse, people all often think of something that happens overnight. Um, but for me, I mean, so one framework that I think is helpful is Daniel Schmachtenberger. He's one of the Game B guys. You know, mm -hmm. he talks about forcing functions. And, you know, you can think of collapse, you know, you know and in the Baha'is, they used to talk about, you know, the collapse of the old world order and the building of the new. Um, and, you know, it, it certainly could, things could just kind of go haywire and, and collapse overnight. That's, that's a, that's a possibility, but I think more likely is that there's a, there's a much slower collapse, mm -hmm. a, a much, you know, slower uh, collapse of the old world order and, and the building of the new. And so there's, and, and, and there's going to be a lot of stressors, but these stressors are the, what Daniel Schmachtenberger calls the forcing functions of like, you know, yeah, like in, me trying to argue with the world on Twitter that we should move in this direction, I don't think it's going to have much, you know, much purchase. But I think that if circumstances like we're seeing with COVID and, and, and we're seeing, for example, this kind of revolution oh, yeah. remote work um, and more people are getting interested in homesteading and things like that because of COVID. Totally. Um, and so and annoying. Seeing, and they're finding people price me right out of getting my homestead. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So there's problems with that too, because then the price of land um, might go up and all of that. So there's always there's always these challenges, and then we have to talk about kind of the public goods and and um, and how do we you know equitably ensure land distribution and, and all of that. Um, so that's that's a huge issue that I don't think we should should skirt at all. But but I do think that when people talk about collapse, that it's it, it has this vision of like a building collapsing, right? The twin towers collapsing, and mm -hmm. I and I don't think that's what it'll look like. I, I think yeah. it will be a series of shocks like COVID that will force us to change. And, and the more we voluntarily read the, the tea leaves and move in a different direction, the softer the landing it'll be. And yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. And I do think that urban areas are going to have to transform. I'm not sure how, but it may very well be that they're significantly less populated and less dense. Detroit is a great, is a great example, right? It's, you know, it was a major, one of the major industrial cities in the, in the sixties and seventies, it went through deindustrialization and now there's just a bunch of just empty land all over the city and, and, yep. and kind of, uh, slowly being buildings. turned and into urban, urban farms or squatted exactly. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, a city like Detroit with all of that land, and if they turned a lot of that land into urban farms, into community gardens, um, things like that. I mean, I, that's a model of a city that I think can feed itself or at least partially feed itself and then partially draw from a larger bioregion and trade for, you know, with other bioregions, et cetera. But I don't, I just don't see these concrete jungles as being very viable. I mean, people talk about food towers, but have those really been proven besides lettuce and, you know, huge energy inputs? 
no 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 the the no you're absolutely right i mean maybe i shouldn't even be really arguing with you the the urban farming all of this sort of like most of the urban farming stuff that that's happening it's kind of like cultured meats <laughs> where the energy in to the calories out doesn't really like compute if you're trying to also essentially you know manage for carbon cycle and mm -hmm. nitrogen cycle and phosphorus cycle and you know biodiversity outcomes as well as just sort of like the pure just like ability for humans to extract a calorie from something <laughs> right right the return on energy investment this time this time being physical energy yeah I mean, I mean that's part of the the reason why i think two percent five percent of people in farming is is not sustainable is i mean I, I do think we need to sell ourselves to the fact that you know we might have you know light solar power tractors um with low horsepower engines but you know we don't the technology hasn't been proven for high horsepower tractors. Like I, I haven't read, you know, uh, I haven't read that. And so this kind of, well, there's some high power electric tractors that, that, that have been proven beyond, you know, that are, that are, that are as um, convenient as liquid fuels. Yeah, for sure. Lithium. Oh yeah. You get way more torque out of a, you get way, 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 way more torque out of uh, an electric um, they're they're significantly more powerful and efficient than internal combustion. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's interesting. There's still battery store, but I think those. Yeah. This is why I'm maybe a little bit more optimistic. Like the battery storage stuff is happening very fast, and indeed, mm -hmm. like you know, the 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 electric vehicles, tractors, these sorts of things, they're. There are a lot less moving parts. They're a lot cheaper to maintain. They do require an economy of scale that does require like some serious industrialization. And it does re require a bunch of like nasty strip mining and processing and all sorts of other shit that if we're being sort of ecological purists, that is not palatable, <laughs> but but that's, I mean, that stuff's already are all happening, right? That's yeah. all underway and mm -hmm. all that extraction is currently happening. And I think that com competition, the competitiveness of sort of, you know, the elect, like the Tesla model, essentially, mm. like Teslas are cheaper to own. I'm not to be, not to be like a shill for Tesla, but Teslas are cheaper to own mm. over 10 years than a, than like an internal combustion mm -hmm. counterpart. Right, right. Because okay, they don't I break mean, down. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, if, you know, I, I'm not inherently against scale of agriculture, like, I, I, like, I've, I've been influenced, you know, both by kind of the, the Jack Kemp's of the world who, you know, are, are big into regenerative agriculture, but, but at a larger scale and, and, and kind of convincing large scale conventional farmers to slowly mm -hmm. move in the direction of regeneration, cover crops, hedgerows, you know, all of these things. Uh, and you're probably very familiar with, with, with that world. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that's, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not like a priori against that. Um, I think that's, that's good. Um, but I think you need a mixed model, right? A mixed yeah. model of that. But then I think just a lot more people are, are going to have to have gardens in their backyards, you know, have chickens, you know, all of these kind of, 
things. This is apocryphal, but this is apocryphal, but I believe EF Schumacher himself said, you know, he wanted to have a completely, you know, sort of off grid reality, except for he wanted to still have an electric wheelbarrow. (laughs) And Um, I don't know if you've hung out with an electric wheelbarrow, but man, for a small homesteader, it's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that's cool. I mean, I, right now we're, you know, our, our, our <laughs> most advanced technology is a wheelbarrow and a shovel and, and I might, you know, we might be looking into th- those kinds of things in the future. Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, I know some people, I, I, I mean, I think this is all a little bit out from more mm-hmm. wide stream adoption, but they, you know, mm-hmm. you can get a full electric, you know, like chainsaw, you know, like with all the, the batteries and the whole, you know, and like a solar system that kind of like maintains all, all of that stuff, the whole kit, electric wheelbarrow, electric Kubota, you know, so like all the things you need to have like a truck farm sort of scenario where you're feeding, you know, 50 families or something from a small farm operation, like a Joel Salatin style operation where you're like really pumping the, you know, um, and you need, you do need like, you know, especially that mixed, like you're doing multiple things, got to go take some lumber out and haul mm. that stuff out, you know, like yard that out and then mill it and all that stuff. You yeah. can basically do a hundred percent of all of that electric now. Um, okay. And I think it's, you know, close to cost com- competitive if you look at it over a long period of time, cause you don't have to do things like change oil mm. and you know, this, that, and the other. So anyway, I, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the next few years go because yeah. that that sort of kit like the electric farm kit the electric mm-hmm. small farm kit i think yeah. is going to be really um instrumental in whether or not mm-hmm. you know and i think the jury's still out but whether or not we sort of turn this corner and there is actually the sort of te- technological foundation to do the kind of uh, sort of like hairpin turn <laughs> to get society out of, you know, or, and as you said, I, I mean, I, I also complete, I just want to honor that the, that you're sort of calling out of the collapse as a, like we're in it. Yeah. It, it's not going to, it's not like, Oh my God, this might happen. It's like, no, we're in yeah. ecological and societal collapse now. Right. Right. How how it turns out, mm-hmm. you know, whether this is sort of like, uh, so you, you know, you're an integral person, you know, in spiral dynamics, if you get deep into spiral dynamics, mm-hmm. uh, what's the what's that part of the theory called? It's sort of like theory U. There's a similar sort of theory that second Claire tier? Graves came up with. What's that? Are you talking about second tier? No, I'm ta- well, I'm talking about the specific, there's all of this work that happened around if there's a crisis moment, do you go down a level or two or, oh, or does the, does it engender a transformational shift into yeah. a higher order in which, and of course, Claire Graves original work was all like, then you're, you create the seed of the next sort of like collapse thing that happens with your choices basically it's sort of a never ending spiral so whether i mean it's kind of like you boil down the question does you know does does some kind of dif- difficulty cause trauma or does it cause growth 
is that, is that or does the, yeah is it is, yeah exactly like will we grow our way transform our way out yeah. of this or will we collapse to a you know neo-feudal nightmare yeah well i think i mean i i think it could be both or you know yeah in different places the, it'll be different things place yeah. and depending on the shock right is it in your hermetic zone or not you know is it <laughs> you know um yeah um I'm not familiar with that specific part of the theory. So that's interesting. I'll, I'll have to look that up. Well, it's in, uh, so I did where I came across that was the, uh, one of like, I did one of the practitioner spiral dynamics courses mm -hmm. way back in the day, um, wow. with, uh, Cowan and Beck and Cowan had a split up and Beck went to the, in yeah. to it sort of the integral way. And then all mm -hmm. sorts of, anyway, so yeah. and I, I'm more and familiar I think, with the metamodern than the than the integral. So I don't know all the names besides Wilbur. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And, a few and much to my chagrin, just to like hate on Ken Wilbur for a second. Man, he really screwed up spiral dynamics. <laughs> oh, did he? I don't I don't I, I, I mean, I know that there's like two different models and they have different colors. And that's that's about as far. Yeah, as well, I he changed the that. colors. Yeah, he changed the uh -huh. colors and he capped it. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and it was like you achieve enlightenment and, and it matches the chakras. So everything's good. <laughs> it's very, well, I mean, that's, that's very, that uh, sounds very um, aesthetic and harmonious. So it must be true. Yeah. Yeah. But the original theory, like Claire Graves original theory was he called it something like the emergent biopsychosocial theory mm. of evolution. And it was never ending. His whole thing mm. was, if yeah. you go, if you shift to another place, mm. you know, you sort of oscillate back between this internal and external locus of control worldview, like collective yeah. and individualist, and you create the seeds of the next this, like thing that's going to cause you to have to reevaluate, like to transform. Yeah. So it never ends. His whole thing was like, this is actually never ending, not like Maslow's thing he was just like this is just going to keep going forever <laughs> yeah well i mean it's interesting one thing that's that has been i think prevalent i've noticed in my life and i think this relates also to this these kind of models of you know spiritual awakening in general is that you have this kind of awakening or you get to this next level but then you still have a lot of integration to do and mm. i've found that you know um I've, I feel like I've spent a lot of the last few years doing a lot of integration of quote earlier stages Right. Yeah. Like getting in touch with with my, you know, uh, there's so many different maps, uh, you know, in metamodernism, it's like pre Faustian, post Faustian, you know, at, I think I think it's animistic and, and magical as well as I know Wilbur uses those. But like, I feel like, you know, I, I had a taste of kind of like the 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 mystical and the magic earlier growing up. I, you know, I, just through my various you know, spiritual, uh, religious experiences, things like that. And, but there's been a lot of kind of like these earlier stages, quote, earlier stages of development that I've had to integrate. And I've also been very interested in kind of like this, this kind of other strand of integralism uh, that like Jeremy Johnson and, and others, uh, he draws upon a, a lot upon I'm forgetting the name. Um, shoot, I'm, uh, I'm kicking myself. But anyway, it's like, they're, they're much more of like, they're, they're less inclined to look at it as kind of like this ladder model of stages and more of like, it's all kind of within you at once. And it's, it's much more nonlinear than we think. Um, I forget the Jebsarian. 
No, it's one of the integral thinkers that that was much earlier in the 20th century that Wilbur drew upon. Um, Jean Gebser. 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 Yeah. Um, and so I've also been influenced by that. And anyway, uh, I, I just thought I'd bring that up. Cool. Is that, you know, I, I think that that's an underappreciated part of both, you know, a, a, a developmental path or a spiritual path is is going back in the, the integration and the cleaning up and the, you know, and I mean, Wilbur talks about cleaning up, growing up, uh, wake, you know, showing up all of these different ups, uh, you know, and, and those I think have been very interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, the integral communities pretty, uh, as much as sometimes, you know, around a campfire with a couple of drinks, I'll start haranguing the, integral community i really do love the yeah yeah <laughs> the insights no, I mean, and like the, the yeah. there's a lot of good things i got to hang out a bunch at the integral center in boulder back in the day when that was happening and oh nice um enjoyed that you no know vince Gorm? uh no mm -mm. okay anyway he's he he was he was associated like ten years ago with integral in Boulder. So I, I just I was just wondering. I, I, we may I you know maybe he I also like runs Buddhist Geeks. He, he's one of the co-founders of Buddhist Geeks, and he also lives in North Carolina. So we're friends. Nice, awesome. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, your sort of area there is is one of the meccas. How far are you from Asheville? About two and a half hours north uh, northeast. Okay, so ways. Yeah, yeah. So I'm near Boone. Um, cool. about 15 minute drive out of Boone. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's beautiful country. I yeah. have some distant relatives in those Hills. Um, nice, nice. Yeah. Like are More... they kind of, they're multi-generational kind of family type relatives. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like old, yeah. uh, cousin, you know, sort of couple generation back cousins. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I love here, I mean, besides the, you know, the history of like kicking the Cherokees off the land, which is, you know, horrible, but, 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 you know, if, if you, if you close your eyes to that for a second, uh, for a brief second, you know, the homesteading tradition of, of the Appalachians is, is quite inspiring to me, uh, just in mm. terms of like, you know, even just reading, reading about histories, you know, in, in this, you know, around where I live, like hundred years ago and, you know, a lot of what I see kind of myself aspiring towards is basically the lifestyle that they lived back then. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's books like the, the Fox Fire series, which is like, you know, basically how to how to make, you know, <laughs> make stuff, how to, you know, how to grow stuff, how to preserve stuff, how to make all kinds of different tinctures and medicines. And um, that's been that's been really um, exciting about kind of trying to grow roots in new places is that there is such a rich history of, you know, of people very kind of self-reliant, kind of like the, the image of the UMN farmer. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that, I, th I think that, um, that ideal has kind of gotten into my head. Um, anyway, I don't, yeah. I don't well, I mean, it's an old one, right? Yeah. It's an old cultural um, vision of yeah the yeoman farmer i mean that was like the old anglo-saxon model mm -hmm. like freeholder yeoman yeah. farmers were the basis of everything right yeah i mean that was that was jefferson's i mean even though he was a hypocrite i mean that was 
like he was he was a big fan of he was a big fan of that model. Um, you know, of course, I mean, to, to loop this back to our earlier conversation, we live in very different times, and we have a lot more people on the world than 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 we did then, um, and we also have technology. And so, uh, I guess to to tie what we were talking about with with this and the neat bow, you know, I I, I do think we're going to have to find innovative and you know appropriate technological solutions to uh to basically deal with the fact that you know we have a lot more people that you know and we want to raise the floor of well-being you know as well as you know cap our um you know our contributions to the earth limits uh and i think you know unless unless we're thinking that the majority of the population is just going to die um i think we have to you know we ha we have to we have to we have to use all resources at our disposal uh including as you said you know, uh, renewable technologies, um, uh, as well as potentially nuclear and, and other things. So I, I'm not, I'm not as far down. I don't know. That that's that's one thing that I I, th I also feel like I'm 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 not quite in accordance with like Joe Brewer in his view. As I think Joe Brewer has, has kind of resigned to the fact that you know, uh, in in 50 years there might be like two billion people on Earth, and I just you know I'm not ready to to consign you know, ourselves to that fact. Yeah. I am also not on board with that. Um, it might, it might bear out, but I, I just don't think we should consider that as a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. One thing I wanted to just, you know, sort of have you, are you familiar with, um, uh, I think his name is Chris Newsom. Um, don't think so. No. Susquehanna farms. That sounds um, familiar. Yeah, he's he's written a lot. He's a sort of a farmer of sort of African and indigenous descent. That mm -hmm. um, he does a lot of really interesting work. I, I want to talk with him at some point, but he does a lot of interesting work talking about the trend, like the need for moving beyond sort of the sort of heroic homesteader image mm -hmm. in and and having more of a community you know and, mm -hmm. and so clear he's sort of definitely right. on the left side of the spectrum <laughs> and right. sort of like pushing the collective ownership and and other things but there's something there that i think is really interesting and important to kind of consider around you know if we think about that sort of like the anglo-saxon roots of the yeoman homesteader vision mm -hmm. Um, which I totally also have a cultural affinity for. Um, and you had sort of said, well, if you sort of like squint and you forget that, you know, the Cherokee got sort of pushed off the land. Um, right. And other tribes, of course. And other yeah. tribes. Yeah. Or if you squint and look and like, oh, the, the Britons were pushed off the land in England. <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> and right. like, how far back do you have to go for this sort of yeah. like vision of like carving out of the wilderness a homestead for mm. sort of like an individual family? Yeah. How, when was that sustainable or sort of resonant with the health of the ecosystem culturally? And yeah. what does it look like? Like what, what were the alternative visions for European indigenosity and sort mm. of like place sourced <laughs> land management? Or were there any, I mean, I, I think there are some, but anyway, it's just sort of a provocation. Um, yeah. 
for myself as much as anything, because I also yeah. share the same sort of like, oh, it's so it would be the like the comfortable sort of move here is to go and sort of like retire sort of <laughs> to <laughs> to to a good life of working hard on the land in a way that feels good and provides healthy food and things like that. And, and sort of like dig, digging up that mythos and sort of invitation a little bit more and asking yeah. what's beneath that, uh, I think is yeah. an interesting conversation. Yeah. I mean, so one side, I mean, the, the, this, you know, the, the kind of t tradition of kind of like the, the yeoman farmer, at least in Appalachia, you know, it was definitely paired with, villages of mutual aid so there was a strong cultural mutual aid and so it, it wasn't as if you know like we, you had a bunch of you know uh complete hermits kind of living out yeah. lower in the woods like they they had settlements right and so yeah. i just want to flag that that and I, and I think it's this is something i've been i've been kind of processing for a while is that you know like what you call things, whether you call, I mean, so, so, you know, I, you know, I, I do think they, you know, I'm pretty sure they had positive that they had individual ownership of property. Um, but I, I'm also pretty sure they had a notion of the commons, right. That kind of arose naturally, right. And, and a village economy um, that, that, that arose naturally. Um, yep. And so, you know, and so you can get into kind of like these fine grained debates of like, should you have individual property ownership, should you have usufruct, uh, did I pronounce that right? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. less kind of secure property ownership or should it just be all communalized? And, and I don't think that there's any single answer, I guess, I guess is what I'm trying to and say. And just to be clear, I'm definitely not on the side of the fence of just communalize everything. <laughs> right. Like, I, have like you, Are I you familiar like, with um, Glenn like Weil? That's an extrovert's dream, but not all of us are extroverts. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And I'll just make sure that my voice is always the one heard about what happens with it. Right. Yeah. That, there we go. There we go. It gets, it gets, it, it, I mean, that, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, I guess a, a more basic way to think about it is like, how do you deal with power? Because I, I don't, I think power always exists. Uh, in various societies and, and people and societies find better or worse ways to manage power that's, you know, more equitable, more based on, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess, it, you know, it, it's, it's more oppressive or it's more based on, you know, just, you know, Henry over here is, is the best, uh, you know, uh, pig, <laughs> you know, best slaughtering pigs. And so we defer to him on that and we defer to this person, you know, so, you know, it's, it's based more on just, on, on, on just ability. And, uh, but then there's also need, you know, I, I, I don't think you can ever, there's no easy way to get around these questions, even if it's a communalized society, um, you know, power is going to assert itself in other ways. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Have you, are you familiar with, uh, Glenn Wiles work? Glenn, yeah, I, I, I was I was pretty I was pretty into his stuff for a little while. I, I read part of his book, Radical Democracy, uh, Radical Markets. Yeah, Radical Markets, yeah. and I, I kept up with Rad Exchange for a little bit, just kind of remotely. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of it's 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 you know it's less on my radar this year, but it's been on my radar in the past. I think it's yeah, yeah. I, I find it very interesting, and we've done a little bit. You know, like we've geeked out a little bit. Like we've uh, created a couple of 
like quadratic funding, smart contracts for, nice. you know, and, and other sort of just experimentation with what it looks like. So anyway, I find that fascinating way to reconcile the sort of like the tension or the di dichotomy, which is just sort of like, just go keep going further with private property. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, so I, I, I am, I, you know, I, I think that I, I find that the distributionist model is interesting where it's, you know, it, like it's, it's pro private property, but it's, 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 it's about, you know, broad distribution of property ownership. Um, and then that's, it's kind of like a basis. Well, so there, is there a redistribution? Uh... There, there, there would have to be some kind of, whether through incentives or more heavy handed, but, you know, it goes back to like, so, you know, the, the famous quote by, by Chesterton is like, you know, you know, everyone should get three acres and a cow. Right. And so it's like this idea that you have this kind of, you know, broad distribution of property ownership and you have clear and, you know, people might sell them or sell it and, and it might gradually become more concentrated again. But you have you would have clear caps on on basically, you know, uh, the accumulation of, of property. And, and the idea there is then you would have, you know, uh, a kind of a broad basis for for a civil society to rise up out of that. Um, of, of many kind of quasi independent, but not totally independent, you know, um, homesteaders, farmers, things like that. I love the idea. I, I, I would just wonder how you would ever enforce those sorts of caps. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you can make it into a law that you couldn't <laughs> own more but than who's going to enforce the law, you know, anyway. Yeah. And then you would have, right. Um, that's true. Uh, sort of like a recursive. Uh, there's no free lunch, right. Uh, in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, you need to have some kind of governance. Um, how is that going to work? Um, yeah, who's maybe who's smart contracts? <laughs> well, and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> smart contracts are probably. Can when I hear probably... that, kind of, when I hear stuff that you talk about with smart contracts and and things with crypto, it, to me, it just sounds like it's just it's just so out of my range of expertise that it, it just sounds like magic to me. So I defer. It kind of it, is it, sort of, but it's just it's all trust, right? It's yeah. just. Uh, but but insofar as like what's that quote around you know I'm just total totally you know butchering but to, if you don't understand something it looks like magic right you know? yeah. Um, yeah yeah so exactly. so many technical things <laughs> mm -hmm. if you if you like squint your eyes a little bit and you don't really know what's going on it's kind of magical all all sorts of things that we see day to day yeah. uh, I mean a smart contract is just um the execution of a programmed script and the you know having a decentralized network that everyone like everyone is running the logic of that mm. creates consensus and it sort of makes it so you can't you know like it's it executes in a single way and it's not going to execute right. in a different way <laughs> like on your computer and somebody else's computer it will execute the same way yeah i mean the, the, I, it seems like you'd run into the same problem as who would enforce who would enforce those contracts like like would, would it be backed up by by physical power by physical and who and who uh i mean at the end of the day yeah who or and what sort of process do you go through to vote? And this is why I don't think there's any way exactly to get around the question of sort of like physical power, coercion, violence, like how are you going to deal with that? And yeah. 
Is it all just coming out of the barrel of the gun like Mao said, or is there something else? And I think there's, there are actually multiple forms of power. That's not the only form of power, but oftentimes it like comes to that. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why, again, I I mean, I think we need to have thousands of experiments of of different, that's, that's, that's the importance of kind of localism or decentralization uh, is that, you know, what works for the Zapatistas, you know, might not work for the Appalachian human farmers. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, but they should both be free to like figure out what works for them. Right. Because it benefits everybody for them to have right. figured it out and, right. you know, implemented and, it. And, you know, and then you get into, you know, these, these kind of classic questions of like, exit versus voice and you know is it is it okay to have you know like will some models be more hierarchical and authoritarian but with exit so people can leave if, if it didn't work out for them or do you need to have solid exit exit and voice i think glenn weil would be very strongly on you know you need you need some kind of like robust democratic model of governance coupled with the ability to leave basically yeah yeah. And that I and I lean in that direction as well. Although I buy I'm, into that I'm, wholeheartedly. I'm not dogmatic about that. I mean, you know, if if the you know if some say religious community, you know, something maybe like the Amish that is, you know, has a different governance structure that's based on you know uh, not not democratic in the ways that we we conceive of it, like, and they're happy with it. You know, I'm not I'm not dogmatic about you know <laughs> about everyone adhering to the same model. I guess. Yeah. I mean, do we, would we need to be, do you need to be dogmatic about everybody being able to exit or like it? Cause at what yeah. point does it become sort of like your problem that somebody else has a problem? Right. What's your yeah. thought on that? <laughs> Wait, so say like, at what point does, well, oh. say, say mm. there's a society that's authoritarian mm. and there's no exit. Mm. Uh, how is that different from one that's authoritarian, but there's an easy exit and how does that show up for neighbors? How does that sh- different? How is that different in the experience of the people inside and the neighbors of that kind of society? Um, and is, is there something that you would like try to have be global norms? I mean, it's sort of like, this yeah. is, <laughs> feels like maybe we're just chasing our tails, but are yeah. there global, uh, are there global norms that you're sort of like, no, actually everybody needs to like all societies need to let citizens leave if they choose to. And that's non-negotiable, but everything else do what yeah. you want. I, I guess that's what I'm going for. Is there I, a- I, I guess I would say is you is, is I think, you know, if you were to have some kind of global enforcement, I, I think that I would be very wary of, you know, being okay with places that neither have voice nor exit. So you have to choose one at least. I mean, again, you know, this is all very hypothetical at this point, right? Um, and so, sort of, it sort of is. It is for yeah. it is for sort of society, but in my world, it's kind of not hypothetical because we're actively engineering these sort of like transnational digital communities essentially yeah. that have well, governance and govern assets. And so the question yeah. is in some ways, like, you know, there's a mix. It's very hard to get everybody a voice mm-hmm. m- mostly because of capability issues. Right. The, the, the Achilles yeah. heel of democracy is that not everybody's capable of 
being a or, good citizen. Or they're, or they're apathetic, <laughs> right? Or they're, well, or they're well that's a capability. In my mind, that's a capability yeah. thing. If you don't care yeah. to govern your society, that's, uh, it's cap anyway, I lump that yeah. into the broader sort of like capability right. of a good have citizen. A, I mean, that's the problem with, with our political system now is if you don't have a kind of a robust deliberative process you, and you get, and you get kind of representative democracy and then it gets, you know, you get corporate capture um, and, and then, you know, governance falls to, you know, how, how well can parties manipulate the meme sphere, basically, you know, yeah. it, it's not, you know, it's not an ideal situation for sure. And it's been like that for a, a while. Yeah. It's just so glaringly obvious now, I think. that Yeah. And the internet brings it to a whole new level. So, so again, like maybe in certain, certain circumstances, like the one we're in, it's, great to have sort of a little bit more centralized leadership yeah <laughs> as so, long so, as people so can leave <laughs> right well so let's <laughs> keep let's that person real, honest take a real world example you know north korea right where like you know north korea is no exit and no, exit no voice no voice um you know i think if we didn't risk global nuclear proliferation um i think it would be what you know i, I think I would I would probably advocate for you know intervening to allow people to leave because you know uh, it's just a humanitarian disaster right now now I want to be very careful not to tread into kind of like the neoconservative you know like <laughs> the the neo you know, neoconservative territory of you know it's our right to spread democracy around the world you know <laughs> you know Bush era kind of ideology um, and so that's that's a very you know I don't. I don't have the answers, um, but you know, I think that would be a that have to be a very serious debate of of what we would do about that situation, um, in, in terms of allow at least allowing people to leave. I mean, what would just uh, just uh, I don't want to you know beat a dead horse, but just to ground this in a concrete situation, like what if your neighbor down the way, yeah you know, I don't know, to make it simple, what if you, like, what do you do in a, in, in, what do you do if a neighbor is like holding their kids hostage and beating them or something like that? I think, I think especially, this is, this is much easier for me to answer because it's in a local setting. I think you have to intervene. Yeah. And yeah. whereas if you, if you had like a, another town over and there was like a mayor who yeah. had gained control over a long time and was super popular and, you know, started being weird and somehow like mm -hmm. kept people from leaving, you, you know, maybe it's a little bit more foggy what you would do. I mean, maybe you would, you would, you know, engage in covert actions and, you know, send, make sure they can leave, <laughs> send, send trackers sure in to, to, you know, to, to help people leave. Right. You know, like, like maybe you would start, you know, you wouldn't start by, a full out, you know, initiating a full out war with that other, you know, locality, you, you would start by more covert, um, you know, actions to get people out. So just to like really root this, so I'm understanding this kind of like political philosophy, you know, and I, maybe I'll, I'll also get uh, Joe Norman on, he said he would, he'd be happy to hop on sometimes. So maybe I'll do that. I, mm. I did kind of start to get alarmed by his Trump tweets. So I, I procrastinated yeah. reaching out to him, but anyway, um, yeah. what are the conditions necessary to actually 
enforce the kind of condition, you know, the kind of world in which sort of people can actually have millions or thousands of different local experiments freely. Mm -hmm. Like what's the meta, what's the meta condition that makes that possible? You know, because that yeah. to me that starts to drive. That's the political I that's philosophy. The million, I think that's the million dollar question that nobody really knows yet, and a lot of people are experimenting with. But the, but that's the million dollar question: is like, what is the what is the the meta protocol or you know, yeah. what you would call it that would allow a thousand flowers to bloom? Um, because if we can't, know, I mean, federalism is kind of in in terms of our current society, federalism is is kind of the closest thing to that, right? Of like you know let let a thousand states be laboratories of democracy and then if th something works out, it spreads to other states. Um, you know, so we would probably want to update that to the new digital age and probably make it more, you know, align more closely with, with bioregions. Um, you know, that, that would be, you know, so it's so kind of like a new digital bioregional federalism might be, I don't know, starting, you know, starting to move in that direction. I mean, sign me up. I still have questions about the the force. I still have questions about the force and the sort of like, you know, just how that all what? kind of like compiles to create yeah. the conditions of safety. Right. <laughs> That's my big concern because how we yeah. got here in a world that in which liquidity is king and in which like global finance rules everything is because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of sort of evolutionary cultural pressure, at least the the way I tell the story, there's been mm. a lot of pressure to be to not be tied to the land because it's vulnerable. Because you're vulnerable, you're fundamentally vulnerable if you're like a place-based yeah. human. Because somebody can come up over the hill and burn your shit down and you know take all your stuff and leave, and you can't do anything about it. So there's always this pressure yeah. to have your stash liquid and available wherever you go to sort of like create right. you know it, that piracy yeah. and at least, war you know, thing, at least so. you know maybe one sixth of the world's population has that <clears throat> optionality you know arguably at the expense at the expense of uh you know <laughs> many other billions of the world's population just in terms of you know resource extraction uh, totally and yeah. once you achieve it then you start oftentimes people start behaving it's like it's like the people who perpetuated <laughs> it were the ones that also secured their assets in a liquid way so that they can kind of keep on doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in my, you know, my, my fan, my, my fantasy ideal, you know, future, you know, it would be something like I mentioned, kind of like this, you know, digital, uh, bioregional, uh, federalism, but there would also be a lot of movement and a lot of cultural exchange. So it'd be, it would be fairly cosmopolitan, um, mm -hmm. you know, with some exceptions allowing for, you know, again, say communities like, like the Amish to, to do their thing, you know, like not, you know, um, but, you know, it, you know, the, the, the uh, many of the communities that are kind of created from scratch, kind of game B style, you know, or, or something along those lines, you know, there would be just a lot of exchange, like growing up, people have plenty of opportunities to, to travel, you know, um, maybe around the world, we'll see, you know, we'll see, we'll see if we get, you know, solar powered airplanes or something. That's <laughs> Zeppelins, man. They, there's some amazing yeah. solar powered Zeppelins already, already out. It's they're very okay. cool. Yeah. Like, like full on like 747 type passenger plane. Uh, well, yeah. They can take a couple containers. 
Okay. They're, they're built for cargo mostly, but yeah. I think you'll start to see them be retrofitted for. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, you know, I would like to see a lot Clipper of Clipper ships and solar blimps, man. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah. So, you know, as, you know, as much as travel is, is doable in a post-carbon future, then, then great. I'm all for it. Um, uh, so you, you would, you would have people who were still kind of cosmopolitan and had seen many different systems and, and there was, you know, constantly new cultural exchange um, as well as, you know, just the communities would not be isolated, right? Both through digital and through just, you know, human movement, um, you know, there would be, um, there would have to be some kind of collaboration on these larger global scale issues for, you know, for example, you know, with our climate crisis and the, and the refugee crisis, you know, like that's just something that not, nobody can deal with on their own. Like that's a global problem that we all have to, you know, address and that that requires global level coordination. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's my, that would be my ideal future. I just don't know how to get there. And, and I, I don't know if I've thought through all of the implicit power dynamics and, you know, <laughs> all of the other things that will come up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful, uh, it's, it's a beautiful sort of solar punk um by regional federalism, digital fe federalism. I, I love it. I mean, it's the same. I, we're reading out of the same uh, uh, utopia dream, I guess. <laughs> Don't call it utopia, though, because utopia is or Or the other utopia. Relative, uh, well, Hansi calls EU. it the, the relative utopia. utopia. So, yeah. you know, it's a, yeah. it's a North star. Yep, 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 yep. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, this has been a, a fun conversation, Jason. Thanks yeah, for taking no, this the time is, this, this evening. This has been great. Thanks for, no, I, I, I feel like I actually, I feel like I learned a lot, especially you, you opened my eyes. I was a little bit, I'm a little bit less pessimistic about our energy future. So I, I, I thank you. For awesome. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see, you know, we'll see, yeah. but, uh, I definitely think we'll have a, you know, They'll, they'll be the ability to have your little open source, open hardware micro server on your farm, you know, with your own sovereign digital, you nice. know, information and your neighbors and the local town and everything, you know, that, and your electric wheelbarrow and a solar powered Zeppelin to take you, I dig uh, it, man. I, I dig it. take you, uh, you know, to the clipper ship that's, you know, one of those awesome hydrofoil clipper ships, man, it's coming. It's coming. Nice. We're going to make this I'm happen. Let's look, look that up. I have no idea what that, what that looks like. Off the Google. Well, the hydrofoil clipper ships, yeah. that's one I'm just sort of making up. You might find a picture online, but the, there are some awesome solar powered, like, uh, Zeppelin, like heavy lift, heavy lift Zeppelin. So anyway, nice. it's like, it's yeah. all coming together. We're, you know, yeah. people are but, making it happen. It's like the cushion. Yeah. It's like everybody, you know, all the people just trying to work really hard as the collapse and the crumbling happens yeah. so that it all just sort of like, you know, reforms in a nice, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of broken eggs along the way as well, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, I, I really appreciate, you know, I, I, you know, I still don't really understand what you do, but I appreciate it because it sounds important. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, this, this is what I do. Well, yeah. you know, and uh, <clears throat> trying to reinvent money, I guess. Uh, I mean, there you go. I mean, it's just all, <laughs> just buy Bitcoin, man. <laughs> uh, uh, no comment. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> if if we can uh you know bitcoin isn't as bad as it's made out to be by some people 
I've actually yeah, I mean, come. I've actually come around on this. My but, my Twitter feed is Jekyll and Hyde with regards to Bitcoin. I mean, it's just I I, I see the full range of Bitcoin commentary, and I, I hardly understand it. So I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't really have a solid opinion. You know, Bitcoin. What brought me around to Bitcoin was being not horrible. Was two things. One is I actually do think it drove a huge amount of renewable energy. Sort of like it's it's been an accelerant for legitimate technology development for renewable energy that I actually don't think would happen. It would have happened otherwise. Nice. So they put it, it drove a lot of investment. And then the other thing is, um, you only need one in order to do this sort of like coherent digital interconnected, um, cryptographically secure. For, mm -hmm. for like user and group sovereignty so that you don't have like big corporates sort of like controlling everyone through the digital apparatus, but they're sort yeah. of like through applied cryptography, you essentially have sort of firewalls and sovereignty to create this sort of federated systems that we're talking about. Yeah. You only need one big proof of work, like machines competing algorithmically with each other Hmm. like doing time stamping. You only need one of those. And then everybody else can like drift off of that in order to sort of secure a quite a big system. So if we have to spend that much energy to, to have that be how the sort of like competitive game theory happens instead of global, like great power military competition yeah. over scarce resources, right. I think it's probably energy well spent personally. Nice. Uh, so... That's my 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 Bitcoin apologia to end out the podcast. <laughs> nice. Well, your audience is probably stuck with you long enough that you, you probably won't lose too many people. Hopefully, you will see. I yeah, they tend to be long ones. So, yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, I do yeah. really appreciate it, and I'll see you out on the Twitter sphere. And you know, we should yeah, follow man. up and, and do it again sometime. For sure. Once once we get those low carbon, uh, what do you call them? Uh, <laughs> we could we can meet up in person sometime too. Yeah, right on. Right on. <laughs> Take care. Ciao. Take care. Yeah.